Welcome to Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me sweating in Brooklyn because it's that time of year. Very pleased to have our guest, the CEO of Tubi, not Tubi TV, Farhad Masudi. Welcome, Farhad. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I think a lot of people who listen to this show know what Tubi is. I think several of them will know that you sold the company recently for $445 million plus maybe another $45 million, uh, a lot of money to Fox, and that you are in the business of providing free streaming television. But I want to make sure I'm not missing something when I'm describing your business, and then I want to talk about how it's going. There's a big boom, or at least a, a, a lot of attention being paid to free streaming services in addition to the Netflixes and HBO Maxes of the world. Uh, so I want to talk about how you fit in all of that and, and how you built the business. And that is my long-winded intro. Well, thank you for having me. I'm a big fan of the show and looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, the, we, we talked, I know it, was in, it had to be before March because we were in person together. Uh, at the time, I think the major concern we were looking at was perhaps war with Iran, uh, which is of concern to all of us. And then you had personal uh, reasons for being concerned about that. And now we're like three disasters or potential disasters past that. Um, but you're doing well. Um, I'm doing all right. Uh, I mean, these have been incredibly difficult times uh, for me, for Tubi employees. So, um, yes, I mean, given the circumstances, I think we're doing all right. So you sold the company during a pandemic. Did that affect any part of the deal or just the sort of logistics of getting it closed? Well, you know, there's, everything affects the deal. Um, it was a, you know, we started the conversation with Fox um, late last year. Um, we were doing a round of financing back then, and and they showed interest to invest in Tubi. Uh, we were really planning on taking the company public, and that was going to be our last uh, round of financing. And, you know, uh, the conversations, uh, one thing led to another, and they showed interest in acquiring Tubi, and we found them to be a great company and great partner and uh, very much in line with our vision of where the future is and our mission of, of making uh, premium content accessible. And, uh, you know, the conversations led to an acquisition offer. And then, you know, while we were discussing the pandemic hit, um, so the rest is history. But well, yeah, it, I, I do. I do. Just, I do want to. I do want to ask. So, so you know, that's if you guys were talking late last year, and I think you announced the deal. What April, May? Right, right. So that's that's pretty quick for a, a big deal. It's it's quick for a big company. I know Fox sometimes moves very quickly. But was there a point sort of in between the hey, this looks like a good thing? Maybe you got a handshake to oh, the world is cratering, either you need to take a step back or Fox wants to take a step back. Maybe they're concerned about sort of what they're getting into. Were there pauses like that? You know, the, I'd rather keep the negotiation details between us and Fox, but but the reality was that uh, we they had made an offer and a sort of a verbal conversation had happened prior to the pandemic. And then that sort of negotiations uh, started before um, that and I think we announced. I want to say the day after Dow had dropped, you know, the largest amount in in many decades. Uh, so it was it was sort of a, a crazy time frame. But I think what it highlighted uh, was their conviction in in what we do. It, they are known to be a very entrepreneurial company, and for them to pull this off during in absolute financial crisis and uh, also a health crisis 
you know, I, I think that made, made me certainly feel great about, you know, their conviction in us. All right. So you're not going to walk me into the war room with you and, and Lachlan <laughs> I, I and Murdoch? I think that's enough data, detail. <laughs> um, did you, have you spoken with Rupert much or is this mostly a you and Lachlan thing? I have had a few interactions with Rupert. Um, I've spent uh, more time with Lachlan than the rest of the team at Fox. That's what I assumed. I think, like I said in my long rambling preamble, I think a lot of people know what Tubi is, uh, and they're aware that there are sort of a bunch of services now that you can get free streaming TV from. Um, obviously, the YouTube is sort of the OG, as you said. Um, your competitor, Pluto, uh, which is bought by Viacom. Was it last year? It all runs together. Roku has a free streaming thing. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's... We're moving. We, both, we have two tracks. One is a Netflix model. You give me 13 bucks. Get you all you can stream, no ads, and there's you, which used to be sort of conventional TV, and now it's it's streaming TV with advertising. First of all, what what is different about Tubi than a Roku or a Pluto, or if I'm just looking for a show or a TV sh- something and it pops up, do I care as a consumer? Do I care whether I'm watching Tubi or Pluto or Roku? Well, uh, there's two ways to answer this question um, on a sort of the high-level basis. Tubi it has the largest distribution and the largest library of free content. So our approach has been very technology-focused, and we offer over 20,000 titles, which is by far the largest in the market, um, totally free. But but if you want to double-click into our competitors, they usually fall under two buckets, um, the ones that are platform made by platforms and they're pl- focused on one platform in you know Amazon IMDb and Roku are in that bucket. Um, and the other one is sort of focus, folks that are or companies that are focused on on linear experience. I think Pluto mentioned 90% yep. of their viewership is linear. Tubi is um, 100% on demand, only TV shows and movies and distributed across 25 devices uh, or platforms I should say. And you guys have sort of like, I think, gone out and sort of intentionally uh, positioned yourself as a, as a Netflix killer, right? You've got a sort of an intentionally provocative campaign. No, no, we, we don't, never suggested that we will kill Netflix. We compliment Netflix. Um, that's our sort of, uh, you know, uh, we were just having a little bit of fun with Netflix. But a little bit of fun. You want to punch up is the idea. I get it. Yeah, yeah you know, what we, uh, we see a lot of value. In fact, the most entertainment service uh, that Tubi customers use um, outside of Tubi is Netflix. Uh, about right. 70% use Netflix. So uh, we very much see a world in sort of two bucket of services ones that offer you access to premium original content. And those are mostly subscription-based services. Um, and and then us and free services that complement them with a much larger library of content, a subset of which is relevant to you. So, uh, which is why we invested most of our time and resources in building a personalization engine and growing our library. Um, I'm assuming that like everyone else who does video, you saw a big spike in, in consumption metrics. I assume you brought on more users. Anything about your COVID slash pandemic spike that differs from other video services? Um, we, we did see a huge spike. And we announced in month of April we had the highest uh, viewership um, of over 200 million hours watched on Tubi. Uh, you'd be, you'd be doing it wrong if people weren't. If people weren't flocking to you in record numbers, you you should hang it up, right? Agreed. I'm pretty sure most 
streaming services um, saw a big spike. Um, so we probably we're definitely not the only ones. Unfortunate uh, that the cause was a pandemic, um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, yeah, we 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 saw. It was 150% growth year over year viewership, so it was a huge spike. Who is a Tubi user, and, and what can I learn about sort of the demographics of a Tubi user if I go look on, uh, if I go look and see what you're streaming? Well, we started as a service for cost-conscious consumers who uh, wanted more streaming um, but didn't want to pay more for it. But at this point, our scale is, you know, uh, we've announced we have over... 25 million MAU. So we, at this point, we reach so many people in the United States that the sort of income and cost consciousness isn't really the key factor. And they're in their mid to low 30s across the U.S. And um, again, the number one service they use that sort of to be is Netflix. Mm-hmm. You know, we have very little overlap with cable customers. So a lot of them can't be reached for, for example, if you're an advertiser, you have a huge extended reach if you use Tubi as a medium for advertising. And, and you know, the, the thing that Tubi does that's very different than pretty much all streaming services is that most streaming services start um, with their content, right? So they, they're content-first companies. We're a tech-first company, which means we really want to focus on personalization, uh, rather than a few titles. So we have users that are super fans of anime. We have users that are super fans of horror movies, kids content, and you keep going. Um, so you're big enough to accommodate many niches. And, and sort of you saw Netflix go through this as well. Like As they started original content, they were sort of going directly after HBO and sort of making stuff in that vein. And now they've gone much broader. They're still making the HBO stuff, but they're making other stuff as well. Yes, um, why do I have in my head that that, that Tubi uh, overperforms with with Black African American audiences? Yeah, we do have a huge uh, African American audience, and uh, we, you know, basically our data showed that there is a big demand of, for the from those users, and we decided to lean in, and um, you know, we're, we're continuing to license more and more content and program for African Americans in the U.S. Is that something where you put out Tubi and you found that that was your audience, or did you go after that audience to begin with? How, how does that evolve? No, we didn't. Um, we just looked at the data, and uh, we over-indexed in a, in a bunch of niche audiences or niche content categories. African-American is a huge category for us, and so we certainly index high there. And the data showed it, and we leaned in. And that's really what Tubi is really good at, is looking at data. Uh, analyzing it. Our mission is really to super serve the underserved. And that includes African-American audiences. You know, we're, we're launched, we launched kids and family. We are, we launching a Spanish content on Tubi. So we're going to continue doing that. And that's really why we complement subscription services very well. So becoming part of Fox affects, how will that affect what you do? I mean, I can see two obvious paths. One is Fox kind of just stays hands off and, you know, may perhaps uses you to promote shows here and there, or you become sort of the streaming arm of Fox.com. I, I see Viacom and CBS sort of going back and forth with Pluto in terms of whether that's going to be sort of an extension of their linear networks or whether it's going to be a streaming service that also has stuff from them. Where, where do you think it's going to end up with you guys? 
Well, first of all, you know, Fox is is very lean, and that's one of the main reasons I, one of the key reasons I should say that I really um, was attracted to um, sort of our conversation with Fox. So uh, we, uh, you know, we're, we're growing um, to be um, Fox partnership on several fronts. Um, ad sales, huge opportunity there to work together. Look, they're number one news sports entertainment or largest AVOT service in the country. So the combination is really powerful, especially when you think about the audience reach that we have, which is very complimentary. On the content front, you know, we, we got Masked Singer on Tubi. It's the number one rated TV show. We announced we're getting Lego Masters on Tubi. I believe you're a fan. I saw you tweeted about that yes. before. What about, um, Ultimate, what about Ultimate Tag? Is that a Fox show? We've been watching a lot of that most recently. We're now I, getting not, in that era of the pandemic. Yeah, We're watching Televised Tag. I got to watch it. It's got the J.J. Watt on it. Sorry to interrupt while I talked about my TV viewing. <laughs> so there, yeah, so no. the Fox is going to give you some stuff. I mean, they're still putting their, I mean, all their stuff still goes to Hulu and their standard portals, but they're giving you stuff as well. That sort of seems like a no-brainer. Right. Um, and and then also marketing distribution, co-marketing. So there's a lot of opportunities that this acquisition opens up, uh, which is fantastic. I have other questions for you. I want to take a quick break so we can hear from sponsors. We'll be right back. Still here. Um, why does a company like Fox that obviously understands TV, understands distribution, and has been online itself for a long time, uh, one of the original partners in Hulu, had their own suite of apps, um, you know, what are they, what, what are you giving them that they couldn't have built on their own? There's always a buy build discussion, but it's not like they showed up and had literally never heard of streaming. Like they've been doing this in one form or another for years. What are you doing for them that they weren't doing? Well, look, when it comes to entertainment, and if you want, we can go a little deeper there. I, I think that the subscription or SVOD strategy is, is very challenged at best. And I think that they realize that um, they need a streaming solution. Obviously, that's part of the future. And given their assets and given the state of a lot of these SVOD services, which I'm very opinionated about in terms of where they are and the state of the market there, they realize that AVOD is the way to go and it's an area of investment for them. Um, and Wait, I just, I just want to stop you there. So you're saying they don't want to build their own Netflix. They don't want to build their own HBO Max. Um, a bunch of people have have got have looked at that business. Uh, only a few of them have actually gotten into it. A lot of people have concluded this is a terrible business. We're going to burn a lot of money. You have to be Apple sized to sort of screw around here. Um, and so I'm just I'm just extrapolating what you're saying here. Am I am I getting it right? Well, you know, I, I think that uh, what I would say is that they they saw Avon as a big opportunity. I you know I, I'll let Charlie Collier and the rest of the team mm -hmm. there announce if they plan to do SVOD or not. But I think that it was clear that Avon is a huge opportunity for them. Um, and it's a, that we have very complementary assets uh, as well. And Avon is, there's two ways to do it. In general, streaming is two ways to do it. You either lean in on tech or leaning on content. And when you lean on content, uh, usually you go the route of let's do originals. I need to spend more than everybody else on an episode to get everyone's attention. And first of all, that can only be done in SVOD and for so many reasons. And frankly, I, I think that that game has been overplayed. It's really difficult to see um, new SVOD players succeeding. It's Wait, possible. I, but, Very but difficult. Why, why the the spending a lot on TV shows 
uh, you know, making it, making, you know, however much Amazon is going to spend to build Lord of the Rings, uh, filming it in New Zealand. Why can't that be done with advertising supported? Uh, because the revenues um, per title um, on advertising, it, it's hard to make the math work if you're spending $20 million or $15 million or even $10 million an episode. Mm-hmm. Just some of the numbers thrown out there for the originals. Uh, it's, it's basically a, for the foreseeable future impossible to make that math work. Right. And, um, and, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of folks who are arguing that that math doesn't work on the subscriber end either. It only works if you have some other form of accounting or uh, in Netflix's case, or if you're Apple or Google and the money is really not material to you anyway. Not only I agree, let's actually, you know what, maybe let's take a pause here. Let's look at what others are doing for a second. Mm-hmm. Combined um, resources or dollars committed to by streaming services over the next four years, which is the content and marketing side, far exceeds the potential revenue of the most optimistic scenario of all these services combined, which means if you assume that there will be a few outlier winners, Netflix, Amazon, maybe Disney, maybe others, the chances of other services winning is really low. And so they Mm -hmm. have to do an incredible job of producing content, marketing it to win in this war. You combine that with the fact that these services are sort of putting all their resources and dollars in and now, without doing an A-B test or a small test and figure out, if I license this show, how many subs would I get? They put it all under one umbrella, mm-hmm. launched overnight, billions of investments. And it's kind of a lottery ticket. Uh, I mean, it's crazy. I don't know any other category that has this type of crazy bets being done. I mean, the movie um, business, right? To some degree. Uh, True. You can spend hundreds of millions of dollars on a movie and it goes nowhere. And that's that happens all the time. I, I would say, you know, and with all due respect to my friends at Quibi, I think Quibi is a canary in a coal mine. And I, I, I'm not saying Quibi can't succeed. I think they have uh, they still have a lot more uh, to do. But there will be a lot of subscription video on demand services in the market that just will not build a sustainable business in foreseeable future. So um, for that reason, you know, and I think Fox, um, in my conversations with them, they also agree that going that path of these crazy spending on originals is A, not sustainable, and and B, you know, won't result in subscriber growth in this market of everybody's just um, right. overspending. So that's not a path uh, of success. And, and so when we looked at 2B on our strategy in the market, and I think, frankly, a lot of players, in the, even in the AVOD space, are following similar path, which is just, let's spend on content. You know, screw it. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and, um, you know, some of it might succeed. Look, you know, Disney made a bet like that, and it worked kind of for them, for Disney+, Plus, a phenomenal growth. But it, it is sort of a... You know, zero one. <laughs> right. Um, and and the conventional logic for all these services is we need big tentpole shows that are going to generate buzz, bring in subscribers. You can debate uh, whether we need or don't need a catalog. Apple up until so, Apple so far is like, we don't need a catalog. We're Apple. Here's our new shows. Um, but everyone is convinced that you have to go spend a lot of money on these big shows to, to create buzz and draw people in. Netflix started building their, well, first of all, they're, they're 
you go back to discs, they had everything. Then they go to streaming, and for various reasons, they end up with a ton of stuff that has been somewhere else, and that proves to be a big draw. And you know, because I've been making this long-term, uh, this this long-running project about them, and they've probably said it before anyway, they realize that that content is going to be pulled away from them. That the Foxes and Disney's and NBC's of the world over time are going to say, wait a minute, we don't want to license this stuff to Netflix. We want to have it for our own. But you can get your hands on this stuff. So I just want to spell out why a Tubi can show second-run windowed stuff where that's not available to a Netflix. Well, I, I, I don't know if necessarily it's that the studios are not licensing to Netflix. They are. I think Netflix doesn't need, um, they want to put those dollars into originals as they should. If I were in their shoes, you want to put dollars into originals that drive subs and retention and, and versus library, catalog library. Uh, and so, which is why what we serve and our purpose is very different than Netflix. You, you should go for your originals to your favorite subscription service mm-hmm. for everything else. There's Tubi, right? What's your what's uh, your what's your best performing title on Tubi? On Tubi? Uh, right now, there's the Mass Singer. The Mass Singer. Well, because it's because oh, it's, it's it's fresh new Fox content. That makes sense. Yeah. Can we talk about how you started the 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 business? Sure. Um, this this you have your your background's in ad tech, right? In technology in general, but yes, ad mm-hmm. tech before this. Uh, yeah. So uh, about a decade ago, um, I I launched a company. At the time, it was called AdRise which was similar to BAMTech, if you're familiar with that business. Um, it was a white-label uh, video-on-demand solution. We powered uh, other streaming services behind the scene, um, such as Stars and Discovery Channel and many others. And you know, we, we built a lot of tech, and that was really our forte. So we built a content management solution, ad serving, and many other pieces. I don't want to bore you. You go, you go to someone like Stars, who's in the business of making television shows and movies, and say, "We're going to help you stream it." Correct. And they say, "Great." Yeah. And we we would launch you an app, a streaming app across all devices. So we launched an anime app for Stars called Manga back in the days. Uh, it was everywhere, and we learned a lot about how to market these services, how to build them, what works, what content works, how to do user acquisition, uh, how to measure retention. Um, so we learned a lot in that process. We also learned that um, it's, it's very difficult to do it when, they're, you know, when you're the white label party and you can't really make the decisions. And so uh, about four years later, uh, about six years ago, both because you know I think AdRise was growing, but it was never going to be a, a huge business, and as well as because we saw that no one really is focused on building a, an AVOD business, and we really were huge believers. The numbers were showing that free works really well. We decided to sort of launch our own direct-to-consumer brand uh, on top so of what, AdRise what, business. What year was that? That was uh, 2014. So that's, I mean... Six years to build a business from zero to, to that exit, pretty good. Um, it was the thought that you wanted to keep running AdRise uh, and this would be a side business, or was this we're going to take everything out of AdRise and move it into the new business? Well, initially, we kind of called our partners and we said, look, um, we'll keep your white label app. Let us also aggregate them under one umbrella. That way we can market it better. We can, we can grow the audience better. It's a larger library, so retention will be better. 
Um, and pretty much everybody said, okay, you know, which, which helped us launch Tubi. And I think within six to nine months, we all looked at each other in a room and we said, why are we doing this AdRise thing? Uh, it makes no sense. And slowly over time, we, we shut it down. And we just we wanted to focus on Tubi and grow that business. So, I mean, that's a full pivot, right? Yeah, Pretty I mean, much. You're it, in it one business, pivot, you make a or pretty different business. Yeah, I don't, I don't think pivot's a bad word. I mean, when you, it's, uh, how does that conversation go with your investors? Is, do they go, wait, no, no, I signed on for this business, now you're doing this other thing, I don't want to be in well, that business? Well, you know, I think our investors initially were nervous about going from a B2B business to a B2C business. It's vastly mm-hmm. different. Um, and, and so uh, there, you know, there were folks who were ner- anxious and nervous about it. I think the biggest issue for us was, until recently, Everybody thought this whole AVOT concept is crazy. Um, there were people telling me people don't want to see ads anymore. Mm-hmm. All the way to you, you know. Initially, it was streaming will never happen. You know, you're delusional. The bundle is very strong. Um, then it was well, well, streaming might happen, but it will be all subscription services. You need originals. If you don't have the budget of HBO and, and Netflix, you can't do it. And I think that the uh, what was really difficult was the VCs were either not f- familiar with the entertainment space and all the intricacies of this space, or they would call their buddy at a studio and their buddy would tell them they're doing it the wrong way. You need to do mm-hmm. originals. You need big shows. Uh, it's all about the content. And, and so that was really difficult to raise money, uh, frankly, for years for us. Go back to the the idea that 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 advertising is sort of on its way out, and and everyone's moving to a, a an ad free world. It makes a lot of sense to someone like me, because I'm paying for Netflix and I'm paying for HBO Max, and I still have a live TV uh, service from Hulu, but I really almost never watch it. So there aren't a lot of ads in my video viewing life, and when I do find them, they're, they're jarring. Uh, and I sort of tolerate them, and if I can afford to make them go away, I will. So am I just in a really tiny minority that's talking to each other, or are people going to, I mean, you were saying that, you know, most of your customers or the biggest service that your customers have is Netflix, so they've got an ad-free service on one end and then one with ads. How how do you think your audience is thinking about this? They'd like to not have ads, but they can't afford to? Um, Well, look, there's, I think there are different services, different value propositions, in, in the case of Netflix customers, I think their expectation is no advertising um, for what they get and what they pay for. And I don't think they would be tolerant of, of ads on Netflix, at least right. today. Um, on the other hand, when you look at platform businesses that are not content or original based, uh, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, uh, these businesses, uh, I think most of their customers are comfortable seeing limited number of relevant advertising um, and in return not having to deal with subscription and thinking about it at the end of the month and is it worth it? Did I watch something in the past 30 days? So it's it's simple as I get that if it's free, there'll be ads and I'm okay with that. Yeah. And um, we have a significantly lower ad load than than cable TV. You know, We've announced you know, four to six minutes of ads every hour. And I think we're the lowest ad load in the marketplace, I mean, even half of Hulu. So um, 
Yeah, I, I think that it, so long as the ads are not annoying and the ad load is, is reasonable, I think people will be okay with it. When is the grand future of the targeted TV slash video ad coming to me where uh, instead of just showing me the generic ad that everyone else gets on TV, they know about, they know as much about me as Facebook or Google does. And so I get stuff that's supposedly relevant to my interests. Um, because I, when I do watch ads on streaming TV, I'm either seeing the same ad over and over, which to me means they haven't sold the ad. Um, oftentimes they think uh, I'm a Spanish speaker, which I'm not, um, or they clearly just don't know who I am. Um, by the way, I'm not super uncomfortable with that. I, I'd rather have them know less about me than more about me. But I, the pitch is, this is going to be this targeted. It's going to be better than TV advertising, right? It's taking the, the, the best of the web and the best of TV and putting it together. When, when will that show up? Well, look, there's a spectrum, right? On far one far at the end of the spectrum, you have um, traditional TV advertising, which is everybody's seeing the same ad, uh, regardless yep. of who they are. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where, you know, I would say, for example, Instagram has a great ad experience for Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, I think that video advertising is somewhere in the middle. The good news is we have a lot of room. It's still much better than TV. But there's a lot of room it's, for it seem, improvement. It seems pretty close to TV to me right now. I, I, I have yet to sort of sit through that and get the idea that they know anything about me other than I'm watching television. Well, part of it is because uh, the, it's sort of the number of advertisers in, in video is still limited. They're limited mm -hmm. to uh, you know, the Fortune 100 or 500. And, and that limits number of advertisers that can reach you. Um, and also, a lot of times they're using their TV targeting capabilities. So all men, you know, all people in San Francisco, broader advertising targeting. I think as the, as the ecosystem gets more sophisticated, they're going to get a lot more sophisticated. But part of, I think, what's different about Facebook and video is that video is mostly used as a brand advertising mechanism. And so, you know, maybe you don't care to see a toothpaste commercial, but ultimately you go to Safeway and buy the one that you see commercials about. So I think some of it has to do with uh, some brands really want to reach you, even though you're not necessarily in the market for a new toothpaste. All right. If I, if I see an untargeted ad, I'll, come, I'll call you and complain. I wanted to ask you a personal question. Uh, and I, I want to make sure I'm not speaking out of school, but you're born in Iran, correct? I was born in the United States, uh, but I, I grew up in Iran. Grew up in Iran um, through what age? So I was born in Philly. Um, my my parents were going to school there uh, until I was nine months old. Then uh, they went back to Iran, and uh, I was there uh, until 2000. I was 19 years old. Uh, I come to U.S. for a summer vacation that never ended. <laughs> I called my parents. Uh, Two weeks into my vacation, I said, I'm, I'm not coming back. And, and, and that was it. <laughs> Never went back. But they're still there, correct? Uh, no, they're actually here right now in San Francisco. All right. So obviously my retention's not very good. But I do remember talking to you, and it, it was, like I referenced, it was, it was sort of the, the most recent height of, of tensions between the U.S. and Iran. And I'm wondering how that affected you personally and, and, and if that bled into sort of your professional life. Did, other than people like me asking about it, did it was that an issue? Well, look, I, 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 the reality is I, I don't want, you know, innocent people um, in danger. Um, I, 
I, I would like peace um, and, and prosperity for uh, everyone around the world, uh, including Iranians and Americans. Uh, so yeah, it, it is difficult to see them going at each other. Uh, it was a little nerve-wracking to see that we, we got so close to a potential war, but thank goodness that didn't happen. Yeah, it is, it is difficult to... Uh, I mean, there's, there's been so many difficult things to deal with in the past nine months. That was one of them. I, I do want to share. I, I, I emailed you, I don't know, a couple of months ago and said, hey, you want to come on? And you said, oh, I got to close this deal. And also, basically, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, the world sucks right now. I'm not sure that I ever feel like talking. But you know what? We all feel that way. So I appreciate you coming on. Of course, yeah. No, it has been, it has been really tough. It's been very tough. It's been very emotional. A couple of months and I mean, the Iran matter was early in the year, and I think we've all forgotten that at this point. But uh, there is the pandemic, the health crisis, and now the social crisis. It's been it's been a tough couple months. And and then on top of that, you've got a company you've sold, and I assume most of the people who work for you have not met any of the new people they're going to be working for. Or they, they, uh, I assume you haven't had a lot of contact with a lot of the Fox Fox folks for the last three months. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, we signed a deal. I think twenty minutes later, the press release went out, and I had a um, all hands with my team over Zoom, and so um, that's not easy. Go through a, an acquisition of this magnitude. Now, the Fox team has been incredibly gracious and helpful and supportive, and I think we've adopted. Um, but I wouldn't recommend going through a, an M and A. <laughs> Uh, in, in sort of shelter in place, uh, but but it is what it is. You know, I think that we're we're still grateful for what we have and how it turned out to be. I'm going to get you to tell me the full M and A story on the record at some point. Um, maybe we'll have to wait a little while, or maybe Charlie will give you permission to talk about it. Sure. Well, maybe we'll do that in round two. Farad, thank you for your time. Uh, and 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 uh, by the way, you were extra gracious on this one because we had some technical difficulties. But hopefully, you, the listener, will not be the wiser. We're going to let you go. Uh, I hope to see you in person sooner or later. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Thanks, man. That was super fun. Thanks again to Jelani and Joel who produce and edit the show. Thanks again to our sponsors who let us bring the show to you for free. A bunch of more cool stuff is coming your way for free in the near future. Thanks for listening. Thanks for writing. Talk to you soon.